The Gospel reading is from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 55. As Luke tells it, the Christmas story revolves around two miraculous births, Jesus born to the young couple Mary and Joseph, and John the Baptist to the old couple Elizabeth and Zechariah. Both pregnancies are announced by angels. Zechariah, a priest in the temple, is the first to be visited with the news of his imminent and improbable parenthood. In response, pregnant Elizabeth goes into seclusion, and Zechariah doesn't speak until the birth. Six months after visiting Zechariah, the angel appears to Mary and offers Elizabeth's unlikely pregnancy as proof of Mary's own. So Mary sets out to visit Elizabeth and see for herself. Our reading for today narrates the interaction when the two soon-to-be mothers meet. Verse 42 and on are poetry, and Mary's portion, scholars agree, is meant to be sung. Here's the reading. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The Gospel of the Lord. Thank you, Nancy, for that reading and text intro. All right, friends. If the Christmas story was a musical. If the Christmas story was a musical, it would start with an overture, right? It would be a medley of all of the prophecies sung throughout the ages that kind of make their way into the story. So from Micah, out of you, O Bethlehem, will come a leader to shepherd my people. From Isaiah, the virgin will conceive a child and they shall name him Emmanuel. And people will come from all over to worship him, bringing gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. From Samuel, he will bring down the powerful, he will raise up the poor, he will fill the hungry with good things. And these prophecies, these well-known melodies, they would keep popping up throughout the play, weaving in and out, giving a sense of destiny, completion, and cohesion to the unfolding drama. Now after the overture, then you'd have an opener, right? And the opener, this is the number that like sets the tone and introduces the main character. So we would have Elizabeth, too old to have a baby, Mary, too young to have a baby, Elizabeth's husband, the priest, long-suffering priest, Zechariah, uh, and then Joseph, who is the like reluctant and wronged accomplice in all of this. And that first musical number, it sets the scene. So picture like the opener bell 
from Beauty and the Beast, right? So maybe they're walking the streets of town, heads are popping out of windows, there's vendors on the street selling incense and um, sacrificial offerings for the temple. People are going here and there to shop, pray, gossip. And then each of those four main characters, they would each have a little solo. So Zachariah, for him, every day is the same. He has long ago given up hope of any change. And Elizabeth, she's just like trying to make the best of a life that is way too much duty and not enough joy. And then you have Mary and Joseph who are preparing for this marriage that they are not at all sure about. And none of the four of them having any idea that their life might hold more than what they can see right now. And as those four sing, meanwhile, the chorus is swirling around them. They're praying outside of Zachariah's temple. They're pitying Elizabeth. They're like tut-tutting and turning up their noses at Mary and Joseph. But then the bridge. Angels appear to Zechariah, you will have joy. To Mary, you will bear Christ. Key change. The chorus responds. In the final verse, Zechariah is struck dumb for doubting the angel. Mary says she is in. And then after one final climactic chorus, the lights go down on all their astonished faces. Whoa. What a start, hey? And the show is just getting started. Because after that overture and opener, this is where I think a comedic piece would go. And it would be kind of in the style of, you know that trope in musical theater, like where the main character is arriving to a familiar haunt. So like think of Oliver meeting the street gang of boys for the first time, or in Hamilton, when Hamilton and Burr go to the bar and we meet the rest of the guys. This is like the song where you meet more of the crew and the plot deepens, right? So. Um, like in this case, maybe it's Zachariah going back to the temple where he serves as the priest. But except in this one, Zachariah can't speak. The angel said that was his punishment for doubting he can't speak until the baby's born, which, by the way, if that were really how God worked, this world would be a much quieter place. But anyway, Zachariah can't speak. So I'm picturing like some hilarious one-sided dialogue, um, all kinds of comic miscommunications as Zachariah tries to pantomime like angel and baby and this spiritual revolution that is soon to be son John the Baptist is going to lead. And maybe, I mean, maybe Elizabeth shows up then, his wife, you know, the one who's actually carrying the baby. And I don't know if her character would be like disgusted with Zachariah for getting himself into this position or like overjoyed to finally have airtime thanks to his silence. But I think there's a lot to work with there. So then after that piece, this is probably where the intermission would go. And after the intermission, of course, you need like a light, plotless act to opener because, you know, not everyone's back in their seats yet from admission. So, um, you know, like all secondary characters, light, dance heavy, maybe it's the angels, like doing some heavenly hijinks up there. But after that, music would slow, lights would dim, and we would cut to Elizabeth. And this, this is where we would get the classic ballad, Elizabeth's story, because it's her longing, her fear, these warring desires in her, both to rejoice and to protect her heart against possible disappointment. Because she's probably been down this road before, right? So many of us have waiting, disappointment, loss after loss after loss, trying somehow to, to hope and to not hope all at the same time, to figure out like what to pursue and what to accept is just so hard. And so when she finds out that she's pregnant and maybe pregnant again, she just steps away from the world. 
She goes into seclusion for five months. And so from the quiet and privacy of her own room, all by herself, dim lights, just her, minor key, Elizabeth would sing her heart out. Now after that, I think we'd have an action song because this would be Mary on the road to Elizabeth. And when that angel comes to Mary, they give her the news of Elizabeth's improbable pregnancy as like corroboration for her own. And so Mary decides she wants to go see for herself. So she sets out on this journey of what was probably like maybe 80 miles to go visit her cousin. So I am picturing like driving beats, staccato tempo. Maybe her, her walking stick is the rhythm um, just to capture her purposefulness as she heads out on this journey. Probably the chorus is lining the road and they're drumming and they're singing to narrate the thoughts in her head as she goes. And this song, now you know, this would be the earworm song, the one that is stuck in your head and still going round and round long after the audience has gone home for tonight, right? And then, then we get to today's reading. And it's not the finale. No, not yet. It is the penultimate number. This is where the star, or in this case, the stars, this is where they get to really shine. Downstage center, all lights on them. This is often called the 11 o'clock number, which is a holdover term from the days when all musicals started at 8.30. And so you wanted that final curtain to be not much later than 11. And so this song, this is always like the height and the most intense emotional piece on the character arc. So like think Rose's turn from Gypsy. Think I've grown accustomed to her face from My Fair Lady. Think if he walked into my life from Mame. That is the style and the sound of our reading for today. Because for Elizabeth, this is her decision to trust again even after being hurt so many times, to believe that her story is not over, that God is doing a new thing, that she can claim her joy, even though everyone around her says she doesn't deserve it. Because that moment, that first fetal movement, the quickening, they used to call it, in an era before ultrasounds and fetal heart rate monitors, that first fetal movement was one of the first and surest signs of a viable pregnancy. And back in Bible times, they believed that that was the moment, not before, that was the moment when the soul entered the body. So this is the first moment where Elizabeth understands herself to be carrying a living and sold child. And then we have Mary. And Mary, she finds herself thrust into a spotlight, not at all of her own choosing. And so this song is the moment where she steps into that role with a grace and a grit to which we might all aspire. She sings this song and like all you know, poetic license and all sermon stuff aside, scholars do agree that the, her words are a song, like these are lyrics. And so she sings this song and it is a song patterned on the songs of her ancestors. This is patterned after the song that her foremother Miriam sings after the crossing of the Red Sea. Miriam, the ancestor after whom Mary is named. It's patterned after the song that Hannah sings in 1 Samuel after the birth of her firstborn. It's the song that Deborah sings in Judges after she leads a successful military campaign against the Canaanites. The song Judith sings in the Apocrypha after defeating the Assyrians. This is the song that has been sung throughout the ages 
by people who have the audacity to believe that the way things are now is not the way things have to be. It's a song of revolution. It is a song about how the coming of God's presence here on earth is marked by a tidal wave of justice, freedom by those who have none, abundance for those who have gone without, power for those to whom it has been denied, and a big in-your-face reckoning for all of us who take advantage of our fellow human beings. It is a song of revolution, and it is a song that is sung by those who are willing to fight to make that dream come true. And it's a song that Mary is going to teach to the child growing within her. And she is gonna raise him to sing this song and live this song with the same fierceness that she herself does. Whew. Merry Christmas, hey? My goodness, what a scripture, what a word. It's a truly show-stopping 11 o'clock number. But, this is not the finale, remember. Oh no, that final number, that's actually coming up here soon. And if you listen closely, you might even be able to hear all of those kids rustling in to nativity costumes, getting ready to share with us the greatest story ever told. But what about you? What about your life? If your life were a musical, which act would you be in right now? First act, second act, intermission? Which character would you be? Would you be the lead role? Do you like the spotlight? Do you prefer to hang back, be in the chorus? Would you be the faithful sidekick, the wise sage, um, the comedic relief? And, and which song are you in right now? Are you in the opener and new beginnings? Are you in an action, action, action? Um, are you in a ballad of longing? right now in your life, or maybe you're in your own 11 o'clock number, um, a time of revelation and resolution to what God is calling you to do next. So friends, wherever you are, please remember this. God is with you. And not necessarily like directing the show that is your life, not necessarily choreographing the steps or even writing the script, because <laughs> for better or for worse, our God just seems to give us like kind of a scary amount of freedom to do with this life what we will. But maybe God is most like, you know, most like the stage crew behind the scenes, dressed all in black, sacred moments grow in darkness before they burst out into the light. And so the spirit is always there at work, like rearranging the sets quietly so that we can do our thing and setting the lights to kind of show us what we most need to see at any given point in time. And just always, always, always working things to give us our own chance to shine. Friends, the time has come. Today's grand finale presented by a star-studded cast of Unity Young Folks. They came together last year in a year like no other, in a time when we needed this story, maybe more than we had ever needed it before, and they told it with all their heart and soul. So as you hear them tell it, and as you go through the own musical drama that is your own life, just remember that God is here, our ever-present stage crew, working things behind the scenes to bless us and bless us and bless us through every song, every transition, every number until that final curtain call, and even then, maybe an encore. 
Amen.